The HD Insights Podcast is brought to you by the Huntington Study Group. The Huntington Study Group is a nonprofit research organization dedicated to conducting clinical research in HD and providing critical training on HD to healthcare professionals. Funding for this podcast is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you and sponsorship grants from organizations like Genentech, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, Vasinex, and Wave Life Sciences. Hello, and welcome to the HD Insights Podcast. As always, I'm Kevin Gregory, Director of Education, Communications, and Outreach at the Huntington Study Group, and your host as we speak with people helping to make a difference in Huntington disease research and treatments. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Dietrich Haubenberger, Medical Director at Neurocrine Biosciences. Dr. Haubenberger began his calling into neurology and movement disorders with his education in Vienna, Austria, which eventually grew into an interest and passion for clinical research. He's been an investigator with the European Huntington Disease Network, or EHDN, and spent time working for the National Institutes of Health in the United States. In his current role with Neurocrine Biosciences, Dr. Haubenberger is working on the Connect HD study of valbenazine. Connect HD is a phase three randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study of valbenazine. In this episode, we'll hear from him about some of the trial details, and at the end of the podcast, we'll tell you where you can go for additional information about the study. So now, sit back and enjoy our conversation with Dr. Dietrich Haubenberger. Well, Dr. Haubenberger, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the HD Insights Podcast. That's 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 an honor to be on on, on this great on this great podcast. Thanks. Well, we're we're excited to have you. There's a, a lot to discuss, but I, I really wanted to start with the uh, with your background and specifically um, how you got into neurology and and what your path was that eventually led you into uh, research centered around Huntington disease. Yeah, so um, um, I am, um, as you as you say, I'm 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 a trained uh, neurologist. I did my uh, training um, uh, in in Austria, in in Vienna, at the Medical University in Austria, and and uh, I started my residency in neurology there after um, spending um, actually already you know during medical school some research time. Uh, in, in the neurology department, uh, so I was I was already you know as a medical student drawn towards uh, uh, neurology uh, in in the early days, and I uh, worked together with my uh, mentor uh, back in the day, who was um, uh, Professor Auf is his name. He was uh, then chair of the department. He was a movement disorder um, a neurologist and researcher in the area of of, of hyperkinetic movement disorders, in particular uh, tremor. So uh, then going on um, into, into my residency, which by the European model is really a combined clinically, clinical, but also a research-focused, a research-focused uh, uh, training since this was um, at, a, at a university. Um, I, I focused um, at, uh, in, in, in the first days really, really on, on, uh, on the neurogenetics of movement disorders. I built up a movement disorders uh, genetics database, uh, both for Parkinson's disease, uh, and tremor, uh, but then also, you know, subsequently, um, as a, as then eventually, you know, as a, as a uh, resident in the later years, uh, but then also junior faculty, 
um, in, in in my movement disorders clinic, um, you know, had a had a you know growing um, uh, uh, group of, of patients with Huntington disease and family with Huntington families with Huntington disease that I that I uh, took care of um, on a clinical on a clinical um, in a clinical setting. So um, so basically, from my from my initial training in movement disorders neurology and also research, uh, Huntington Huntington was always a part of that. Going forward. My, my my subsequent training then really focused around neurophysiology and also still you know combined with uh, with with genetics uh, mainly in in in, in tremor disorders uh, but but again I, I I I kind of tried to keep my 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 scope really broad uh, also including um, including uh, HD in in the in the early days as junior faculty I I served as as, as site uh, investigators for the for the European Huntington Disease Network uh, was you know part of these early 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 years of the establishment of the network and then you know fast forward um, decided to switch over um, or transition into the area of clinical trials really um, using the knowledge around genetics on the one side and and, and the neurophysiology on the other side to use these as as you know, from the perspective of biomarkers and outcomes in clinical trials or determinants of clinical trials, um, you know, built up some 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 uh, work around clinical trials methodology, which eventually then you know led me to my my current role um, at Neurocrine, and I was you know really really excited about this opportunity to 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 uh, to, to basically come back to the world of Huntington disease to uh, to work now on this trial. You mentioned that um, you know there you were already drawn to neurology. What is it about the field that that really drew you in initially? What was it that um, got you interested in the field to begin with? Um, as a as a clinician and as a neurologist, um, you know the 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 eventually what, me, what 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 drew me to neurology is that really it's 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 about the interaction between uh, the physician and 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 the patient and and the caregivers we don't need you know that many tools or techniques uh uh to to really get a good idea about about the phenotype about the presentation you know the 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 the, the diagnostic process uh in neurology really you know, starts uh, as early as the door opens, and 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 a patient comes in, and especially movement disorders neurology is is even you know, um, you know even even the pinnacle of 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 a, of a really you know clinical clinically driven um, uh, discipline. So really, with with our you know really five senses, uh, uh, you know we can we can um, we can you know learn a lot about how the brain um, and the nervous system functions and. Uh, so and and especially that interaction, that 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 observation, that um, you know communication and 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 uh, the neurological exam. You know, maybe we have a reflex hammer and a, and 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 a little you know flashlight that uh, that we use as, as as tools. But 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 it's but it's but it's that that it's, it's really one of the most I think patient centric um, disciplines in, in in medicine. And this is what you know has really drawn me into that. And, and you've had, you know, a, a bit of a, you know, quite an interesting journey. So you talked about um, having studied uh, in Vienna, but then you you ended up coming over to the States, and you actually spent some time um, with the NIH, the National Institutes uh, of Health. Um, tell us about that. How did, you know, what, what uh, led you to, you know, into that position, and, and what brought you over stateside? So it was very clear to me that, uh, especially in neurology, uh, uh, in the days when I when I when I trained, that I will be that that I that I felt this pull into into clinical research. Um, 
when you think about um, you know the availabilities of of of, of treatments and therapies um, uh, uh, back in the day when I trained, I mean it's not that long ago, but it's but it's just if you look back the last you know 15, 20 years, it's just amazing what uh, you know how the field moved forward and and really what has really driven me into into um, you know adding that clinical research aspect to my career as a neurologist was you know really a drive to say you know we need to have better treatments. Um, for 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 neurological diseases and 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 to embark on a, on on a research career, um, um, really you know you 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 want to go to um, you know centers that are really established research centers and probably one of the most established and one most famous and most active clinical research facilities in the world probably are the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, and 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 uh, so essentially you know as 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 many researchers do you know you see you. You write a grant. Uh, you get uh, you get uh, you know funding for for a back in the day was you know, a, a research fellowship for initially two years and then at, you know another three years uh, uh, you know using uh, using an, an NIH grant uh, where I where I, where I transitioned over uh, to the um, to to the NIH into the lab of of, of Mark Hallett, kind of a world-renowned movement disorders. Um, a researcher and but really with the goal as you know to do that as a fellowship to then continue on an on an academic um, a path which I eventually did you know I I, I moved back to to Europe to become assistant professor and then associate professor in Vienna um, but you know as 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 it turned out NIH was was uh, recruiting for um, for someone who could build up a clinical trials uh, program. And uh, and they you know knew about my interest also in clinical trials methodology, um, so I, I got a call and uh, moved back to the states you know a few years later and uh, yeah that's where I've been kind of the last um, you know five years. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Now now in terms of clinical trials, when you when you realize the the drive to kind of get into that component um, of your work. Was there anything when you first got into it that really surprised you about uh, about clinical trials that you didn't expect going in? Um, so not necessarily surprised, but I was but I was uh, but I was fascinated by by um, you know the 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 fact that clinical trials really as pinnacle of clinical research. Um, you know, you can see clinical research more more, more in general where we try to understand disease. Um, mechanism, uh, uh, disease physiology, etc. Clinical trials is then when you really try to apply what you learned into 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 potential treatment treatment developments. What 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 was really um, um, you know one of one of the one of the one of the biggest factors that drew me into that field and not necessarily a surprise, but but that's what that, that's what excited me is that how how much of a team sport it is. Um, um, especially, you know, coming coming from Europe, where you have quite a hierarchical system, especially at universities or at hospitals, uh, um, that's you know, clinical trials really only work really well when 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 everybody uh, who 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 is part of that clinical trial family, and that you know includes you know doctors, physicians, nurses, uh, um, statisticians, uh, regulatory folks, uh, all the way to to you know, and, and I include into that in, in in that clinical trial family also. Patients, caregivers, patient organizations, etc. Um, that 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 this is really um, you know um, how much of a team sport it is, and and uh, and and often it takes it takes takes a village um, 
to move things forward. But 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 again, you know, the ultimate goal to 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 develop new treatments is really something that just unites everybody behind that. And um, and and probably that team work um, is, is is really something that I really that drew me to the point where I say, okay, I think I want to do that for 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 a living. When you also have a unique perspective in that, you know, you've seen clinical trials from multiple perspectives. So uh, you mentioned the the European model um, and having uh, been a site investigator with EHDN in the early years, also um, in the United States. Um, tell us from your perspective what what some of the major differences are between clinical trials in the U.S. versus Europe and, and what some of the lessons learned that you Come away with um, from either of them. I think I think one of the major um, lessons learned now is um, is that how um, um, how of a global um, um, uh, enterprise clinical trials now have have become actually to the point where you say it's it's they're, they're actually not that many differences. Of course, of course, you have you have individual you know regional regulatory requirements uh you know depending on which country or which jurisdiction EMA versus FDA but these are you know technical points but but in the end what 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 is what is what is what is really a main you know learning uh, and also to look back how how the field developed over the over the last you know few years and and, and decades is that is that uh you know the 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 effort um, for you know interna international standardization of how we do trials is that basically wherever um, you know I mean in, in general you know research and science doesn't stop at country borders and and and, and especially when it comes to treatment development um, um, you know the, the you know the process of harmonization of 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 of, of research. Um, of, of how we do research is really something that's that's that that that's really happening on an international level where we can really say you know we do a trial in, in you know, basically where we where we you know companies really now start to do you know large global trials uh, across across continents. I want to get your thoughts uh, to Dr. Haubenberger on the evolution um, of trials, specifically around your thoughts on. Um, you know, the, the use of quantitative motor testing in clinical trials and the kind of the, the, I guess, the early proliferation now of wearable technology um, mm -hmm. as part of trials. What, you know, what have you seen over the course of your career and, and, and what, are you, what are you excited about that, that these um, two things can offer going forward? So what I'm, what I'm really excited about is... is, is um, that as in many other fields, uh, the technology is really leading us and is and is and is and is and is years ahead, and we have to um, uh, you know uh, implement and learn um, how to use the tools that we have available. And uh, you know, if you think back, even as a, as a parallel, the the the, the human genome uh, project, uh, you know, we were, we were decoding the entire genome and had. At the beginning, literally, no, I had no idea what that all means. But that that data, uh, that data, you know, really, you know, opened a complete new area of of understanding uh, etiology and and, and genetic um, uh, correlates of, of of disease years and decades after you know that effort has been has been completed. And I see it in a similar way with with uh, with um, with with wearable technology, for example, where we are now able really to 
to to to create and record an enormous amount of data on 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 everybody even to a point where it becomes scary and you have to think about you know issues of privacy uh, etc so 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 new challenges come along but uh, but as 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 we're able to do all that we are as a field trying to um or you know it's it's basically our responsibility to to uh, to make sense of 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 many of many of these data i think especially movement disorders is something that 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 is really amenable to to many of these technologies i mean it's it's funny you know the iphone came out 2007 2008 i moved to the nih uh, to 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 work on movement physiology and and basically since then you know i've i've almost weekly got you know some pitch from somebody who had the idea you know and the iphone there are accelerometers in there how how about if we if we if we if we measure you know tremor or movement with the iphone in in a patient setting so so basically that's that's uh, that discussion comes over and over again, and now we have watches and 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 and, and smart you know um, devices and and uh, clothes even. Um, so uh, what is still I think uh, um, I wouldn't get to say missing, but it, what what is still um, you know in, in in the middle of of, of development, what we're trying to understand is that is that what does it what does it mean? Um, if, for example, if 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 we use objective measures to 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 um, to describe an absolute amplitude of a of a movement, may it be a choreic movement, may it be a tremor movement, or or another movement, you know, what is what what does it mean in the end? Um, you know, how 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 many you know how much do you need to reduce an amplitude of a movement in order to make a difference in somebody's daily life? And I think that's really the challenge that we have right now in front of us. That we say, you know, what 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 is a meaningful change? Um, you know, at the moment, we don't really have good gold standards available that actually tell us in a patient home uh, uh, objectively when was a good day, when was a bad day. Basically, we would ask our patients when was a good day, when was a bad day, and then you know, then also the question is if 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 you have discordant findings, if your if your sensor tells you that you know your movements were were, were better by 35%, but the patient says no, actually, um, you know, don't feel any difference. What uh, what's the, so it's, so I think it's not necessarily what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Not necessarily kind of the the um, the amount or or the or, or the sensitivity to detect super small changes. You know, we can change. You know, we can we can we can measure millimeters of changes of movement. It's really the ability because because the question is how 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 meaningful are are all these small changes that we are able now to detect. Um, the, the really the, the the question is, um, and and I think the excitement is that is that we now have and you know a window. Into um, into what's happening outside uh, our doctors' offices, where usually the clinical rating scales are done, and 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 how we bring these technologies to a point to, you know, reliably uh, uh, quantify meaningful um, differences in patients' daily lives. I think this is this is where we're still um, working on really hard as a field. What are your thoughts on in when you've interacted with patients as far as the patient acceptance or the participant acceptance of, of wearable technology. You, made it, you brought up a great point, and the reason I ask this is because, like you said, the, the iPhone does a lot of this inherently, and, and people may have grown up with it. Um, but do you find that, are there people that, uh, are people more clamoring for um, the wearable technology? Do you find that there are pockets that are still resistant or hesitant to use it? I'm just curious as, as far as what, you know, what your perceptions are. Basically, to, to, to chop ahead to where I think we should be going, I think, I think 
this is really you know a, a key area where I think we should we should um, we should uh, um, engage our our patients the patient community to to um, to to learn more about um, you know what technology you know is 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 acceptable uh, you know there's you can you can you can do I mean in general when we when when we think about capturing remote um, data you can do passive recording basically where you where you have just an iPhone or whatever sensor um, collect passive data as patients go through their daily lives and 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 you try to 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 map you know the changes of these signals to any you know interventions that you do uh, um, which is usually more accepted, I would say, uh, as you know, it doesn't require because it doesn't require much effort or interaction from from patients themselves. Um, um, but you know, the challenge here is that uh, is that uh, this is real. I mean, challenge and also opportunity. This is this is what we call real world data. Um, um, uh, that's completely contrary to the very con very well defined confined setting of, uh, of of a clinical exam, for example. Um, on, on the other end is 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 um, you know active recordings where you know patients have to perform you know tasks as they are you know at home or at work etc which uh, which you know bring in a little bit more of a structure around this certain you know setting like at every, every day at 11 o'clock you hold your hands in front of your body and hold that for 30 seconds for example um, which um, you know helps you know with the standardization of data, but again you know this 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 shouldn't itself you know disrupt a patient's daily lives and change. Therefore, so the measure itself should not change the behavior. That's important. And I think what we are often um, underestimate is 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 the complexity. Um, uh, I mean, think about uh, you know who who is able to um, you know pull up an iPhone um, uh, you know interact with an app. There, um, that you know, think about you know what what should be the brightness, what should be the font size, uh, what if you know it's out of battery, uh, what if somebody so so there are many factors that we um, often underestimate um, that we then always you know where 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 you know lots of development work needs to go in there and acceptance work needs to go in there before we actually can start um, making any sense of the data that we're recording. Absolutely. Those are some those are some excellent thoughts. I, I did want to um, ask you one other question, kind of based on your experience. Now you you've kind of made you've actually made the transition from being on the investigator side of of clinical trials and, and clinical research and, and moved over into industry. Um, what type of advice would you give to investigators that are looking to engage more with industry on collaborations and research and, and some of the, you know, the best practices or, or lessons learned that you've come up with? Um, I, th I, th I think um, uh, in the end, uh, I see industry and, uh, and, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I see myself still as an, as an investigator. I don't, you know, take the investigator head off when I when I go, 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 go into my office. Um, uh, you know, um, and that's probably also the reason, you know, why 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 folks like myself who are who have that experience as, as investigators who have, you know, a long track record as being, you know, you know, practicing but also researching neurologists, and neuroscientists, to 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 ensure that that there is not, you know, a rift between these two. So so. Um, so certainly, you know, for, of an ind for the industry perspective, is that you know we are really committed to 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 bring um, 
ideas and 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 um, you know interesting you know uh, targets or uh, molecules whatnot forward uh, to develop a treatment that we then can um, uh, make available to 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 our patients and 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 with all you know the operational and and and, and uh, aspects of that so this is where industry is really really good at but in the end. I see really, um, you know, industry and 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 academia and and uh, and also, you know, investigators that are in a non-academic center really, really as 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 a team um, um, to to work together uh, to 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 bring ideas forward. And, and often, you know, industry reaches out to investigators uh, to say, you know, um, we think we have an exciting new, um, you know, uh, potential treatments. Um, that uh, that uh, you know we 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 want to you know test and that we want to want to want to bring into clinical trials um, uh, to to work with us often you know even in the process of developing a protocol um, you know starting a trial up running a trial um, uh, but uh, you know but that goes both ways often also investigators even physicians academicians you know come to us and say hey um, you know there's this you know your drug has a certain mechanism and we have you know have some experience uh, on that mechanism in potentially a different patient population or 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 with a different approach have you thought about that and 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 we are really you know it's 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 extremely collaborative um uh between you know the experts in the field and and uh, and industry and that's at least that's 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 that that's one of you know the the things that excite me about my job is that i i really interact a lot with 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 the smartest folks in the field with the common goal to to develop treatment and again this 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 can be all the way from i have an idea would you be interested in in you know in 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 you know thinking about that uh all the way to um, any companies such as neurocrine also have have the opportunity or or, or mechanisms uh, such as investigator initiated trials where um you can even you know or investigator can can, can submit basically a, a trial or grant proposal um, where they can, um, you know, conduct, uh, you know, a, a trial using using, you know, uh, uh, information or 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 even, you know, can, like a compound uh, that that a company let like us have have on the market for for potential novel indications. So 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 there are there are multiple ways to 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 collaborate. We'll return to the interview on the HD Insights podcast in a moment. We hope that you're enjoying this episode. As a nonprofit organization, the Huntington Study Group relies on the generous support from the community and listeners like you to continue bringing you in-depth content on HD, like this podcast series. If you like what you're hearing and are interested in supporting HD Insights through a grant or donation, please contact us through our email address, info at hsglimited.org, or by calling toll-free at 1-800-487-7671. We greatly appreciate your support. And now, back to our episode. Uh, Dr. Hobbenberg, I'd like to switch gears now and, and dive directly into a clinical trial that, that you're specifically involved in and, and talk with you uh, about your role with, with Neurocrine and, and that trial. So 
the Connect HD study um, al- uh, of valbenazine uh, has started up, and it's it's another interesting trial for um, uh, for potential treatment uh, for folks with with Huntington's disease. Can you start? Let's start there. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about valbenazine, uh, the, the drug itself, and then um, you know tell the audience uh, about the Connect HD study? So yeah, so uh, uh, we are um, really excited about about this study. Valbenazin is a um, is a is a um, compound that's uh, that was developed by by Neurocrine. Uh, it is it is a, uh, a vesicular monoamine um, transporter two VMAT two inhibitor that uh, has been that is that is that is highly selective um, on the VMAT two target. Uh, uh, and, uh, and and very potent on on that target. Uh, uh, um, and uh, what uh, what that what that inhibitor does is it it, it regulates uh, the the, um, the the packaging of of, of, of dopamine in, in 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 the vesicles uh, in the in the striatum, the, the area that uh, controls uh, movement in the brain and. And and uh, valbenazine is uh, is is a compound that, uh, as I said, you know, has been has been discovered and developed uh, at Neurocrine over the past years, and it's now also on the market already on the market um, for the indication of tardive dyskinesia as uh, to treat um, to treat uh, hyperkinetic movements um, in in tardive, tardive dyskinesia, and uh, and it's and it's uh, and we have you know quite. Quite some experience now with 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 that with that compound. Where um, now, uh, given also the history of other um, VMAT two inhibitors being being um, you know effective in 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 the treatment of of Korean Huntington's disease, where uh, basically we are now um, uh, you know also making um, uh, valbenazine uh, available in the context of this of this trial. Uh, really, with uh, with 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 the hope to to provide um, you know additional options for for patients to treat um, Korea, we are still um, we are still convinced that there is room for for uh, for more options to symptomatically treat uh, uh, Korea, and uh, valbenazine um, with with its uh, profile that, for example, would allow um, you know a single. Um, uh, daily administration. Uh, uh, um, um, basically, you, you would only need to take it once a day. Plus, um, plus, you know that high selectivity um, at the at the VMAT two target, uh, where we think you know this this uh, this uh, should be uh, you know where we are where we are now now basically testing in this study um, uh, uh, the efficacy and also certainly safety and tolerability of this compound in in HD. In in terms of the the other um, approved medications for Korea, and you talked about the selective targeting, um, in specific terms, what's the difference? You talked about um, valbenazine only requiring one dose a day. Is that what are some of the other primary differences? Um, yeah, I think I think um, if you if you look at um, other like for example, tetrabenazine um, uh, is um, you know is uh, yeah. Acts also on other targets in the brain uh, that, uh, uh, and, and, and not just on not, not just on VMAT two. So 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 we believe that that uh, that selective um, action on on VMAT two is is actually of benefit. So 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 we hope uh, that uh, that 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 we can we can achieve 
uh, you know, a, you know, a, a comparable level of, of of Korea suppression at the same time with with um, with uh, with with a with a you know really good tolerability around around that target. So so basically that selectivity and potency um, uh, is where where we think we have we we should uh, you know valvenosine uh, might have really a, a beneficial as we call it, ter therapeutic uh, window to to provide effects um, uh, at the same time with with uh, with uh, you know an acceptable you know uh, level of of, of of tolerability. And the Connect HD study. Now I, I know that's a phase three study. Is there um, it, does that also include a, a placebo group in this? Is this is this double blinded? Yes. So so this is really a a, a very you know classical phase three um, uh, study which uh, which um, which administers valvenazine. Uh, and also a placebo um, in a in a in a one to one randomization uh, uh, ratio, uh, uh, and 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 the goal is is to uh, find uh, you know the, the 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 highest tolerated dose. Um, and at the moment, you know, valvenosine eighty milligram is 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 the dose is 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 the, is the highest dose that's uh, that's approved uh, for for the treatment of tardive dyskinesia. So so this study. Has uh, has an, an eight-week dose uh, titration dose adjustment period um, with the goal to 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 reach uh, the highest dose. Or if that shouldn't be tolerated, then you know the next lower dose that is tolerated, then followed by four week uh, of a maintenance uh, period, and then um, uh, uh, a two-week follow-up after after that. So. So the, the primary the primary endpoint of this study is is the total maximum Korea score, which is the subscore of the Huntington's disease uh, rating scale, specifically the motor part, um, where uh, where uh, basically patients will be rated based on their Korea uh, severity by investigators, and and that is a, a double blind in, in a double blind placebo controlled placebo controlled fashion. And for potential participants that are interested, and I understand there's there there are probably you know many um, specific criteria for qualification. But from your perspective, what are some of the what are some of the critical um, eligibility criteria that that participants may want to be aware of? Um, so so uh, uh, we um, I mean it's it's. Uh, it's it's a study that that includes adults adult patients starting at the age of of, of 18. The motor diagnosis of uh, HD um, has to be ha, ha, you know has you know has to be in place at the same time also uh, combined with a with a with a genetic uh, diagnosis of of 37 or more repeats in the Huntington's gene. Um, the the um, uh, you know as 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 we are trying as as we are um, certainly uh, as, as we have the goal to to show changes in in Korea and and how that how these changes in in, in Korea also affect patients' daily lives and, and and physical functioning in their daily life, um, we we require subjects at the at the at the at the beginning of the trial to be ambulatory, uh, but assistance assistive devices are are permitted. Um, there there there's a certain minimum requirement for 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 um, motor severity uh, which is not that that severe but but uh, but just to ensure you know as as certainly motor manifest or even pre-motor motor manifest um, 
you know, in, 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 in terms of disease progression, that 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 Korea is 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 at a certain level of severity where you know a VMA2 inhibitor could could be beneficial to improve uh, Korea. Um, so yeah, so this so so this will be this this will be some the one one thing that uh, we currently um, have also as a requirement is that uh, is that we we want subjects to be to be naive uh, to uh, prior uh, VMA2 inhibitor treatment. So so if subjects have been uh, on 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 any other VMA2 inhibitor uh, before, they would not be. Um, uh, uh, able to, to 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 be included in the study at 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 this moment, um, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that. In, in addition, there are certain you know safety um, uh, uh, important safety factors. You know, otherwise in in in, in general uh, good health. Uh, you know, no no history of of, of any uh, cardiac uh, abnormalities. Um, ability to to swallow. I mean, these are these are these are capsules that are being administered. So 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 these are just some of some of the some of the some of the criteria. And all of that, there's probably a screening process too. You, you talked about the you know the the dosing schedule for the trial, but I, I assume there's also a uh, screening process prior to that. Correct. Yeah, that's 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 correct. So 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 we have a screening period, and we allow up to four weeks of subjects to be in that screening period, where um, you know there's a, there, there's also a, you know certain requirement about allowed other concomitant uh, medication, etc., uh, where where that all can be looked at. Uh, that's been looked at directly at the site, but there's also um, uh, you know a central review of of of, of all the of all the uh, elements of the medical history and also laboratory findings, et cetera, just to ensure that that uh, uh, that uh, you know subjects are are um, you know suited well to go to go into this trial. I mean, I mean, one thing that I think is important is that is that although there is much experience now uh, with valbenazine in, in 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 patients with tardis dyskinesia. You know, we we can't uh, just assume that you know the tolerability and safety is 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 absolutely the same in patients with Huntington's disease. But we have to we have to prove that, and we have to also go into this trial with a certain certain um, certain amount of, of of caution. And you know, many of the of the trials outcome measures are you know looking at you know just to ensuring that um, that you know the drug is safe and, and can be tolerated um, in patients with HD. All right, excellent. And then, uh, you know, circling back to something we talked about uh, early on in the interview, is there what role, if any, is uh, wearable technology um, providing in, in the Connect HD study? Yeah, so this is actually something that we are really excited about. Is that uh, although uh, although our study design is relatively um, you know standard and really um, uh, geared towards um, uh, you know, regulatory um, potential approval uh, downstream uh, should things go um, as 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 hoped. Um, where 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 basically it's uh, you know there are certain uh, predefined uh, outcomes and endpoints in the study that uh, that uh, you know FDA has agreed uh, before to be used to show changes in Korea. However. Um, we, we we include um, additional elements in the study uh, that have never been done before in in phase three uh, studies in in hunting disease and one is that we have the sub study uh, where we where we deploy uh, wearable sensors in 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 a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a subgroup of, of of subjects in our trial and this is 
this is a this is a really exciting learning part for our study where we um, often need we as a field now I'm not speaking for literature but we as a field in general you know we we need studies like that are multi-site phase three trials to 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 deploy the technology that has been already you know somewhat developed in the field already um, uh, to then you know eventually do the next step in the future to say you know could could wearable technology sometime downstream actually be be really you know uh, a primary outcome in a in, in a clinical trial at the moment it's not there yet because you know it, it needs to be needs to be shown that uh, that we are actually able to collect uh, to collect um, you know useful data in in the context of a large you know international multi-site multi-site trial and 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 here we 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 decided to go with a with a wearable um, uh, sensor setup of of uh, basically stick on uh, 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 skin worn um, uh, biosensors. Uh, that are largely collecting purely passive uh, movement data, where we where we uh, ask patients to wear sensors um, on their body at at, at at several locations on their body over over a period of of, of seven days and uh, basically 24/7 with just a one hour charging cycle every day, and and and, and we ask our patients to do that uh, during during um, during the screening period before they actually. Uh, will be will be exposed to to the study drug or, or placebo, and then one more time again during the maintenance period while while they will be on study drug. So so it's while that's um, uh, not set up to 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 actually um, be uh, you know used as a as an efficacy outcome of our study. It's really what what we are really trying to learn from that data is to see you know if 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 we see a difference in other scales, does that also is that also reflected in the sensor data as 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 we are, as we are, as we're getting these back. So we hope that with that we can, we can, we can, we can stimulate the field a little bit and and and, and bring wearable technologies kind of into the next phase of 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 of, of larger scale trials like like this one. Oh, well, that's fascinating, and and it'll be very interesting and exciting to see you know kind of these these um, you know wearable sensor data uh, start to come into play in in a trial such as this. So that that's outstanding. Um, Dr. Hobenberger, we've taken up a, a good deal of your time, and I appreciate it. I do have one other question for you before we go, though, and I, I've done my research as well, and um, my sources tell me that uh, you are also a singer. Um, <laughs> so uh, tell can you can you tell us a little bit about um, you know uh, what you sing, what your interests are, and and, and uh, do you use this professionally on the side as well? Yeah, <laughs> you have good sources. You have good sources. No, I, yeah. So, so, so I have, you know, having, you know, grown, you know, since since I grew up in in Vienna, you know, all around, you know, these great uh, concert halls and, and and the opera. I basically I just grew up, you know, uh, making music and 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 also, you know, singing in 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 in, in choirs, um, basically through my entire, you know, um, you know, young and 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 adult, and adult life. Um, so. So I'm I I, um, I I'm I'm a, I'm a, you know somewhat semi professionally only quarter professionally trained classical um, um, uh, singer mainly in concert uh, courses uh, and I'm a baritone and and and, and uh, I you know it's all the way through medical schools and afterwards residency and and, and, and my academic career this this was you know other 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 folks went to the gym three times a week I went to you know the concerts. Um, hall to to practice or go or or, or sing in concerts. 
um, uh, kind of mainly classical repertoire. That's been that's been my thing. I haven't been able to do that a lot since I moved to San Diego last year, but 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 uh, but I hope to to get back to it uh, pretty soon. So um, uh, yeah, so so that's 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 always been my passion. I think I think neurology and music is something that that uh, often comes together. Many neurologists are are, are also you know, musicians. Um, you know, it's really the, the art and science come together um, here really nicely, and that's my little thing that 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 I can then you know draw energy from uh, for 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 my day job yeah that's that's a really interesting point actually you're the third guest we've had on that that has that neurology and uh, music kind of dual interest so it's uh, it, it's neat that you point that out um, and, and we won't embarrass you by having you you know give us a demo but any any time in the future if you want to come on and, and perform we'll be happy to have you. <laughs> I'll be I'll, I'll be more, more, more than happy to. <laughs> well, Dr. Habenberger, thank you again for joining the HD Insights podcast. Uh, greatly appreciate your time. That was that was that, that was a great uh, great chat here, and anytime. And uh, thank you for um, for uh, providing this uh, you know really important um, uh, you know uh, uh, vehicle to 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 to, to spread you know. The new things that are happening in the field, uh, such as ours, uh, I'm 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 certainly a listener myself. So so thanks for thanks and keep up the good work on this. Oh great, thank you so much. All right, thank you. That concludes this episode and our conversation with Dr. Dietrich Halbenberger. It was a pleasure learning more about his background, thoughts on clinical research, and evolution of HD trials to begin leveraging wearable sensors. If you're interested in more information on Connect HD, you can visit the study website at www.connect-hd.org. Once again, that website is www.kinect-hd.org. So glad you could join us on this episode of the HD Insights Podcast. We look forward to having you back on our next episode. Until then, I'm Kevin Gregory, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the HD Insights Podcast. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you automatically get the latest episodes to your device. Please rate and review this podcast with your feedback so we can continue providing the best possible content. If you are interested in providing financial support for the work needed to produce this content, you can do so by becoming an ongoing sponsor or through a tax-deductible donation. To do so, please email us at info at hsglimited.org. That's I-N-F-O at hsglimited.org or by calling our toll-free number at 1-800-487-7671. Thank you for joining us on the HD Insights Podcast from the Huntington Study Group.